Yesterday was my daughter Cassidy's 16th birthday, so uh, happy belated birthday to my baby girl. And as many of you know, 16 is a big deal to teenagers. Uh, 16 means driver's license, and driver's license means independence, and driver's license means growing up. And uh, I, I have to tell you, it also means a milestone for me and my wife in that we are done teaching children how to drive. Uh, I learned through the driving teaching process that uh, if one thing I figured out, it's that the person who is responsible to teaching the driving part of driver's ed, that person cannot be a human being. That person must have some kind of supernatural patience that's not available to the rest of us. Because I don't know, uh, those of you that had to teach your kids to drive or you uh, had to teach your grandkids to drive, if you understand uh, just how difficult it is. I don't know if it's harder on the parent or harder on the child trying to teach someone to drive. And I think for me it was probably so difficult because me learning to drive was so traumatic because I had several traumatic, traumatic experiences when I was uh, trying to learn to drive way back in the early 80s because my teacher in learning to drive was my father and it's never been said that my dad and the word patience that was never used in the same sentence and uh, my dad was a stern uh, strong minded uh, one time chance kind of guy and so when it came time to learn to drive for me he decided he was going to do the teaching and for us we had two options in our home Uh, you either had my mom Uh, family station wagon which was nice Uh, or you had my dad's work car and my dad's work car was a Mazda GLC and thank the Lord they're no longer made but it was a car that he bought in the late 70s during the gas crunch it's about the same size as a Volkswagen Beetle uh, just more cramped and it had a hatchback on it so you can get that in your mind but the main difference between the two was my mom's car was an automatic My dad's car was a standard, or what you would call a manual transmission. Uh, And I know some of you, that doesn't mean anything, because you've never had to even see something like that. Uh, That means there was a clutch and also a stick shift. So if you've seen a stick shift and you've seen three pedals down there on the floor, that's what we had to deal with when we learned to drive. How many of you had to learn to drive on a standard car? Then you know what I'm talking about. You you know what it's like. I argued with my dad. Let's take the station wagon. Well, he said, you're going to try to parallel park the station wagon. I said, I'll do anything to not have to drive that car. Uh, But his reasoning was, surely uh, sometime in your life, you're going to have to learn to drive a standard, so you might as well learn to drive it now. Uh, I argued that they don't even make standard cars. They were stopping to make them, and 10 years from now, no one would have them. Uh, And I proved to be true, although uh, him teaching me to drive that standard probably did save my life about 10 years later my first church I had to learn to drive a 48 passenger van or bus for uh, our church and for the youth ministry and it was an 18 speed it had nine gears low and nine gears high no one taught me how to drive it they just put me in it and said go Uh, and all I could remember back was my dad trying to teach me how to drive a standard so he did say that and and I don't want him to know that and we'll edit that out of the tape so he doesn't hear that but uh, I was dreading having to drive the standard. I'd never driven it. He gave me all the lessons. Here's how you do it. You put it in first, and you shift, and you put on the clutch, and you let the clutch out, and you slowly give it gas. But him talking about it and me doing it were two different things. 
So he went out and got in his work car the very first time that I was going to learn to drive on the road. And uh, Getting out of the driveway was wonderful because reverse is easy. You just put it in reverse and give it some gas and it kind of pops and goes. And I got in reverse and got it out onto the road. And now getting down our road was a whole different story. I, 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 we barely made it down the road without him having to turn us around and come home. But we did make it. I, I sputtered and I stopped and, and I was shifting horribly and uh, the car was jumping as we got down to the road but we made it to the end of the road and then we came to what was the death knell it was our exit out into uh, the street the main street from our neighborhood now I don't know who the engineering geniuses were that designed the way to get out of our neighborhood I'm sure they weren't Texas Aggies uh, because it was it was crazy because you see our neighborhood set down and the exit ramp set up and so, and it was a hill that had to get out of our neighborhood onto the main road. Now, it wasn't a huge hill. It was probably 20 feet, and it had a slow grade to it, and might as well have been 90 feet and a 90-degree angle for me because at the top of that exit was the stop sign. Because, you see, you had to move up to the stop sign to be able to see around the houses to look out into traffic to see whether or not you could go. And now, if you've driven a standard car, you see my dilemma. You have got to ease up on a hill. You're still on a hill to the stop sign. And when you get to the stop sign, you have to put your foot on the clutch and your foot on the brake and keep it in first gear with hopes that if all is clear, now picture this, you're going to have to slowly let off the clutch, foot on the brake, and as you let off the clutch, give it enough gas to be able to let it catch in first gear. Now that sounds easy. It's not. And when you're on a hill, it's even worse because what happens is as you slowly let off the brake, you start rolling backwards before you can get your foot on the gas to start moving forward. And I have to tell you, uh, the first three tries, we rolled back down the hill. My dad was uh, yelling a little louder each time we backed down the hill. Uh, I was getting more and more nervous. I was getting scared. Um, You know, I was so thankful there wasn't a car behind me that I would have had to smash into three times. And, uh, you know, you're already nervous and you're already scared. And and he was, you know, yelling and screaming and how hard is it? And you're going backwards. And I knew I was going backwards and put on the brake and then give it some gas. And so finally the fourth time I made it up to the stop sign. And this time I wasn't going backwards. And so my idea was I would just give it all the gas I could, throw the clutch out, which is called popping the clutch, just take my foot off of it, and just hope to go forward. And I went forward. But as I went forward, I lurched because I gave it so much gas out into the intersection. And in lurching, I stalled the car. The car died. And so I'm sitting in the middle of the intersection across... Cars are starting to come. People are honking. My dad is teaching me a whole new language. And so we're, and I'm scared to death. We didn't go over what happens when the car dies and you're sitting in another intersection. And I'm panicked and and I'm trying to, he's telling me start it. And I'm trying to start it, but my foot wasn't on the clutch. And so I had to push in the clutch and and I'm trying to start it with it in gear and, and get it going. And so I finally got it jerking and moving and going like this as I moved. And we pulled over to the side and we switched sides. My dad got and took us home. My mom taught me to drive the rest of the time. In our study here in the book of Ephesians, we've been talking about moving. We've been talking about going as Christians. 
Matter of fact, we, we've broken down the book into some pieces. We've talked about the two pieces that are a part of this book, this letter. Uh, chapters 1 and 3 deal with the theological truths. And last week I gave you a, an illustration about a car and compared our spiritual life to a car, our spiritual growth to a new vehicle. And in that illustration, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the owner's manual. See, in those chapters that we've gone through, they describe uh, what it means to be a Christian. Paul describes in chapter 1 what kind of vehicle you have, that you're a saint, that you are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are now a child of God, and you've been given every spiritual blessing that you need to live the Christian life. He tells us that we have all of these things to succeed in life and that the barriers of life have come down and the barriers that divide us have come down. And he's talked about how unique you are, uh, that each one of us is specifically made for a purpose. And, and so in terms of owner's manual, chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell us that you've got the best vehicle there is. It's a one of a kind. It is top of the line. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, which we'll get to after Christmas, uh, that is the maps. It is the practical aspect of what we learned in chapters 1, 2, and 3. It, it takes what we learned in 1, 2, and 3 and tells you how to apply those things. All of those truths, how we apply those to our lives. So in a car illustration, that's the GPS. Those are the maps. You see, those things are going to tell us how to take this vehicle that God's given us, this new spiritual Christian life. And that's not just individuals. That's a church. And how we're supposed to live it. And so those maps are going to tell us where to go, where to go to be a good husband, a good father, uh, how to have a good marriage, how to have a, a Christian business, how to succeed in life, how to overcome all of those things, how to avoid certain things and how to watch out for potholes and shortcuts and all of those things are in chapter four five and six so we've got the vehicle and we've got the maps we got the plan and here at the end of chapter three in this short little prayer that paul has he at the end of the owner's manual gives us something that's probably the most important aspect of the vehicle uh, many people call this little passage the heart, not just because it's the center, but the heartbeat of the entire book, because it's probably the most important principle that he's going to give us that divide or bridge chapters 1, 2, and 3, and 4, 5, and 6. He's going to talk about the power. So you can have the best car in the world, and some of you do in your spiritual life. You can have the top of the line with all the bells and whistles and everything going for it. And you can have a plan. You can know where you're going, and you know how you want to get there. You can say, I want this out of my marriage, and I want this out of life, and I want this for my future, and I want this for my kids. But if you can't start the vehicle moving, if you can't get it out of the showroom, which is what most churches are, can't get it out of the garage, it doesn't matter what you have planned. So here at the end of chapter 3, Paul is going to tell us how we can have power. And last week we looked at the first part of the prayer and his part of that power was what kind of gas you need to get there. Because see, if your tank is empty, it doesn't matter your plans. You've got to fill up. And we learned in chapter 3, verse 17, 16, 15, that the gas that moves the Christian spiritual life is the Holy Spirit. See, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the power of your life. It is the power for living. You have so much power available. So much power that is inside of you and available to be used. Top of the line, pure gas. 
But he said there was a catch. He said the only way that power is released in verse 17 is if the Holy Spirit makes his home if he dwells inside of you. Not just lives inside of you, because when you became a believer, a Christian, he does live inside of you. But what he says is he has to be welcomed. The Holy Spirit has to have a home in your house. And when the Holy Spirit is at home in your house, that is when the gas tank is full. That is when he begins to pour out everything on you. But you can see you can have the Holy Spirit pouring out everything on you. Have all the gas in the world. You can put the best fuel in there. I mean premium, top of the line. But if you don't know how to get the car moving, if you don't know how to get it in gear... You're not going anywhere. So Paul, in this little seven-verse prayer for the church and for Christians, explains in verse 17, 18, and 19 how to get the car in gear, how to get the car moving. Because you see, here's my fear. I fear we have Christians that you know who you are in Christ. Some of you have embraced really who you are and what Christ has given you. You understand that. You you got the top of the line vehicle and you know what it takes. And and you know where you want to go. God's given you a vision. You've looked at the GPS. God's given you dreams and God's given you a passion. Some of you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got this supernatural power. But you hadn't got on the road yet. And when you do get on the road, many times it was like my first driving experience. You, you stutter and you sputter and you don't get going up to speed. Some of you along the life, you, you, you started driving and you got off track and you're on the side of the road. And this morning you need a spiritual tow. Some of you, you started driving and then you gave up and decided it was too hard. So you turned around and went home or you turned around and let somebody else take the wheel. Well, this morning, I want you to see how you can go into first gear and into second gear and into third gear to get to where God is calling you to go, to take this incredible life that God's given you and use it. Use it in life. Use it in relationships. Use it for what He meant it to be used. So you have a Bible, let's look at what Paul says. Let's look at where Paul is taking us in this journey as we try to get there. Now, um, we're going to pick up the second part since we covered the very first part of uh, of this little prayer last week. So we're going to pick up in verse 17. Paul says, I pray that you, talking to the believer, being rooted and established in love, may have power. May have power. Talking about being able to move beyond the power we already had, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I love that. To, to know something that is unknowable. To experience the unknowable. That you may be filled to the measure of all fullness in God. Now he says there in verse uh, 19 that the goal for all of us is to be filled with the fullness See, our goal is, is to be filled with every bit of God that we can. That, that is moving with God, in step with God. That is spiritual maturity. Did, but did you hear the other four steps? See, it's a four-speed if what you had a manual or standard transmission. It's a four-speed. And Paul laid out four gears that get you from the showroom to fillness with him. Now, some people say, well, the Bible says we were already given everything we need, so we're already full. Can, why can I be fuller? How can I be fuller? What, what Paul is saying is he's saying that the goal for believers is Christian maturity. 
The goal for you and I is not just to be in first gear and cruise in first gear or cruise in second gear. The goal for the Christian is to get to a place in our life where we are cruising with Christ to the point that we are experiencing everything that he had. Jesus says in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The King James says, and have life more abundantly. And what God wants for the believer is for you to be able to take this vehicle that he's given you and this church that he's given us and to be able to cruise to the places that he calls us to. Not sputter and stop and die and turn around. Cruise and enjoy it. And if this was a car illustration, this part, chapter 19, that fullness, that would be putting it on cruise control. That would be being to the point where you are walking with God, you are mature, and you can flip it on cruise control and just enjoy. See, God wants you to be able to to take the top down and let your hair down and go and enjoy everything that's out there for you. God wants a believer to experience everything. He wants you to have marriage the way he created it. He wants you to be a parent the way he created it. He wants you to be in a relationship with your parents the way he's created it. To have the business life, the prosperity, the joy, the understanding. And that only comes when we get to this place, fullness in Christ. There are little glimpses along the way. But he wants us to get to this place where we are walking with him in everything that we do. Where we are full of all that he has for us. So how do you get there? How do you get to verse 19? Well, you've got to look at what 17 and 18 say. Because in 17 and 18, they give us the, the, the points, the gears that build on one another to get us to that place. What's the first thing he says? And I'm going to stay with that car illustration because I like it. And I think um, this is practical gears to get us to move. And you can't just shift into third gear. You can't just shift into fourth gear. You've got to go first gear, second gear, third gear, and fourth gear. And if you were, uh, uh, if you were using this illustration, you'd say, well, I just want my Christian life to be an automatic. I just want it to be like the car I drive where all I have to do is just put it in drive and it goes. I'd love that too. But that's not the way it is. Because you see, in the Christian life, while God gives us the vehicle and God tells us where to go and God prepares us to go and he even gives us the gas, we are the ones, we are required to put it in gear and go and drive. We don't have chauffeurs. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, get in the back, I'll drive. The Holy Spirit says, I'll tell you where to go. You have to drive to get there. And so it requires an effort on our part. It requires shifting and stopping and starting and getting to that place that he's calling us to. So in that illustration, the very first gear that you've got to get into is he says we need to be rooted in God's love. Now what does it mean to be rooted in God's love? He uses the the past tense there, which means you are already rooted, but you need to be rooted. So, So if we were already rooted, what do we need to do? in this gear shifting to get us rooted. See, the Bible tells us that while God plants us in fertile soil, we are supposed to take those roots that he gives us and sink them down deep. We're supposed to grow. How do we get rooted as a Christian? You get rooted in the Word of God. I love what the psalmist says in Psalms 1, the way he starts the whole book of Psalms. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinner or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And on this law, on God's word, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted in the streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaves will never wither. Whatever this man does will prosper. See, the word there to meditate means to say over and over again. You see, what he's saying is this man that he's talking about in the Psalms gets the word of God and he makes it his own. He embraces it. He, he lets it become a part of him. He says it over and over until it becomes truth to him, until it becomes a part of all that he does. See, the first gear for the Christian to get out of the garage, the first gear for the Christian for you to begin to move when what Christ is calling you to is to get rooted in the Word of God. To take this book and to learn it and to read it and to fall in love with it and to memorize it. He says he delights in it, to delight in this. See, I want you to hear me. You will never grow as a Christian if you're not getting into this book. You can come to church and hear me read it and be in a small group and have them read it, but that's not enough. You see, that's other people telling you. That's my dad telling me, look, it's easy. All you got to do is push in the clutch and shift into first gear. But it's a whole other ball game when you get in the car and you have to learn to do it. And what God's Word says is you and I, if we're ever going to get into first gear, have got to get out there and do it. And the way to get out there and do it is to take this Word and make it a part of yours. Read it on a daily basis. Learn it. And the more you read it, the more it becomes who you are. And you begin to develop roots that sink down deep. Roots that will withstand whatever is thrown against you. The Bible says God's word is truth. This is what will set you free. This is what will give you wisdom. How do you want to know God's will for your life? You find it in God's word. First gear, rooted in the word of God. Plugging into what God has for us. You see, you can even be filled with the Holy Spirit to overflow. You can have your gas tank, the top gas. But if you're not rooted in the Word, you'll never get out of the driveway. And I know a lot of Christians that are chasing the Holy Spirit. And I believe, uh, I I am an an advocate that we need to give the Holy Spirit more room in the church. I think uh, we have discounted what the Holy Spirit can do in and through us as a church and as individuals. And we're studying Acts on Wednesday, and it's so evident that the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. In so many evangelical churches, we were scared because people called it the Holy Ghost. And we've seen excesses in some other churches. And so we don't even talk about it anymore. But I've seen people in those circles that chase the Holy Spirit. And it's all about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's all about experiencing the Holy Spirit. But what I saw in many of them is that they were so filled with the Holy Spirit and they didn't get the Word of God, the truth, to go with that Spirit, they never moved anywhere. They stayed in the same place spiritually. And the next week they were back trying to get the same feeling, the same Spirit again, instead of moving on to maturity. You see, first gear is getting rooted in the Word. What is second gear? He says, be rooted and established in God's love. How do you get established in God's love? Well, Jesus gave us an example in his parable of the wise and foolish builder. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in Matthew 7, Anyone who hears these words of mine 
and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. How do you get established? You get established by taking the truth of this word that you're rooted in and trying to live it out. How do you build a foundation in your life? You take God's word and you start practicing it. You take the words of Jesus and you make it a part of all that you do. Especially when it comes to loving God and loving others. He said that establishes us. That that sinks us down deep. And so here you are. You're in the garage. You want to get in first gear? Get in the Word of God. And then you shift down. You you don't stay in first gear. And some of you are staying in first gear. Have you ever been in a, a standard car? Because when I learned, finally with my mom, she wanted to teach me in a standard after we got the automatic down, I, I would just drive around in first gear. And I would dread any place that I had to get above 10 miles an hour because then you would have to shift. And so the car all the time was like this. It was just begging, shift me. And that's the way sometimes we see as Christians. You get in the Word of God and you're reading it and you're so excited about it and it's coming alive, but you're just winding out. You've got to take that word and you've got to shift down and make it a part of you. You've got to go out and live it. You've got to start practicing it. Start putting those principles to work. And then you shift into second. And then he tells us the third gear as he says, I want you to do this being rooted and established with all the saints. Now here Paul again is reminding us that while these things that I'm supposed to do, shifting at first and shifting in second, those are things that I've got to do personally. Those things were never meant to be done by myself. Paul has said over and over again in early parts of the book of Ephesians that we were created to be in community. And here again he reminds us that life is to be lived with those that are in the body of Christ. See, you've got to be connected with the body. Got to be connected with the local body that you're interacting with, that you're loving, that you're watching them love. Because you see, he wants us to get to fourth gear, which we'll see in a moment, is, is love exploded. And you will never experience all the love that Christ has. You'll never see it apart from the body of Christ. See, some of you understand how much God loves you. You've seen examples in your own life. You understand how much God loves others. You've seen that. But you will never experience the depths of God's love or the heights of God's love or the length or the width of God's love apart from the body of Christ. Because you see, when we come in here on Sunday, while you may have experienced this much of God's love, the person beside you has experienced this much. And the cool thing about coming together and worshiping is as we worship in the body, since we all have the same blood and since there are no barriers and we're all together seeking God's will, I begin to get a glimpse of the love that Christ has shown you. And all of a sudden I get a bigger picture of Jesus and I hear your life story and you tell me about how God's love reached out to you and I understand a little bit more about His love. And I tell you how he didn't give up on me and how God's love still found me and plucked me out. And you learn a little bit more about God's love. You see, he says to shift into third gear means that you do it in community, that you live that rooted and established principles, but you do it with the body of Christ. Now, Paul continues to talk about it, so I won't belabor it, but let me just say this. I believe, I firmly believe after studying the Word of God that you as a Christian will never get to that maturity, to that fullness in Christ apart from the body of Christ. 
a part of being connected to the body. You can learn the truth of the word. You can get rooted and you can get established. You can get into second gear, but you'll never get into third gear and really never ever get into fourth gear if you're not with, connected to the body. Other Christians doing community. Other Christians living out what God has for us. As a believer, we are called to be connected. Now, for some of you that have never driven a standard car, you need to know that in first gear, it goes from about 0 to 10 miles an hour. Really, some of them 8 or 9. I always pushed it 10 or 11 because I was scared. It was whining out. I wanted to make sure I shifted. But so 1 to 10. And then you shifted into second. And second gear would usually get you from about 10 miles an hour to about 17, 18, 19, 20. And so you're going 20 miles an hour in second gear. You're moving. In third gear, you would shift up. Third gear would get you from about 20 to about 30 miles an hour. And if you only had four speeds, some cars had five speeds, you would shift down into four speed, and four speed was overdrive. You see, four speed, you could shift at 30, and you would still go from 30 to as fast as you want to drive in four speed. And so the goal for the Christian is to get this vehicle into four speed where I'm overdrive, where I'm cruising, where I'm moving. Because you see, you can't put it on cruise control in first gear. Can't put it in cruise control on second gear or third gear. Only can do it in overdrive. Can't get to that maturity until you get to fourth gear. So what is the fourth gear that he says? Paul says this in verse 18 and 19. Paul says, I want you to have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. And I told you that was a paradox. How can you know something that's unknowable? I mean, how, he says, I want you to know that which is unknowable, the love of Christ. Because you see that word know there is, is the word to experience, to progressively experience. What he's saying is, is he, he wants us to experience all the love that God has for us. And in experiencing that, we grow to see a little bit more of it through time. The older you get, the more experiences you have, the more believers you're around, the more you understand how deep and how wide and how high and how long God's love is. You see, fourth gear is taking that love that you've experienced and giving it away. It's being surrounded by the love of Christ. You see, if all I had was the Word, I would become legalistic and rigid. If all I had was the Word and I was established, then I have a tendency to be judgmental because I, I'm living it out and I'm doing this and I'm looking around and doing that. Even within the body, people just have those first three and they're driving in third gear and we look around and we say, he's not doing it and she's not doing it. We all need to be doing this together and they're not doing enough. But you see, once we get into fourth gear on our way to cruising with the life that God's called us for, everything becomes surrounded in love. And we begin to experience more of God's love. And through tragedies, we experience more of God's love. In our difficulties, we experience more of God's love. And as we experience that love, we begin to give it to those around us. See, that's the overdrive. That's what keeps us moving. That's what gets us to the place where we can all of a sudden begin to see God do things that we never thought He could do before. Do things that we never could understand. That's why he says to understand the unknowable. It's because once you begin to experience it, all of a sudden you begin to see it 
in ways that you never saw it before. And he gives these examples. He said, how wide is God's love? God's love is wide enough that the worst person in mankind still fits in. See, God's love is so wide, there's no place you can go this morning to get away from it. It's that's wide. How long is God's love? I don't know about you, but in my life, God's love's never given up. There's nowhere I could go, no point I could get to that God would say, okay, that's enough. No place that I would ever be in my life where God would say, no more love, I'm stopping. You see, God's love is so long, it lasts forever, and it never lets us go. How high is God's love? It's beyond the heavens. The quality of God's love surpasses everything that you and I could think of. I know we talk about romantic love and how romantic love is, is great and, and, you know, and it, it sacrifices and it gives. Romantic love has nothing on the agape love of God. The agape love of God is self-giving. It's self-sacrificing. It is a choice to love to the heights. It says how deep is God's love. God's love is so deep that it meets our deepest needs. It reaches down into the depths of our spirit and pulls us out. See, Christian, I want you to hear me this morning. What keeps the car moving, what keeps the car going, what what keeps God active in your marriage and at work and at home and at church is understanding God's love and making it a part of who you are. Fourth gear. So let me ask you this. If you had to be honest this morning, what gear is your spiritual life in today? Where do you find you taking this vehicle that God described in chapters 1, 2, and 3? How fast is it moving? See, the thing about it is, and I thought about this as I was studying this week in this illustration, if any of you have ever driven a, a standard a auto, a manual transmission, you know that when you get it in four speed and you're on the highway, everything's good, right? You don't even need to know how to do, work the clutch. You take your foot off the clutch, you got your foot on the gas, it's in, it's in overdrive and you're just going. But if you ever have to get stuck in traffic in a standard if you ever have to get stuck where there's a bunch of lights and you're having to start and stop, and I want to tell you, I had to drive through Dallas traffic one time with a standard vehicle, and uh, I mean, an hour traffic. If you, I mean, I felt like I'd been doing leg exercises the whole time because you're working the clutch and you're giving the gas and you're going and you're stopping again and you're giving it gas and you're going. It, it wears you out. And you see, in our life, there are times like the highway. There are good times where you can just get it in fourth gear and you can just go and you can just love everybody and you can just do the things that God's calling you to. But in reality, most of our Christian life is starts and stops. Most of our Christian life is detours and traffic and bumps that you've got to slow down. And sometimes we even come up against hills. And it's in those times that we need to know the way to get the car going again is to get back into God's Word. Make it a part of your life. Use it. Get into a community of believers that can encourage you. And then meditate. Think about how much God loves you. And He loves those around you. 
That's what gets your car out of the showroom and into the world. That's what's going to make a difference in our community and in your life. What gear are you in this morning? Because Paul tells us that we're gassed up. We got the vehicle. It's just time for us to put it on the road. Let's pray.